Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. We have three guests today from Open Table, an organization based in Phoenix, Arizona. John Katoff is here. He is the CEO. Rochelle Butler is the Senior Director of Community Initiatives. And finally, Angie Williams, the COO of Open Table. Well, welcome, everybody. I am so glad to have you here as part of the Aging Out Institute podcast series. I think today, because we have three guests, I'm going to start off by handing the reins over to John, who is going to introduce himself and provide a little bit of background about your organization, Open Table. So, John? Hi, everybody. Just so glad to be part of this podcast today. Well, I think the short story about me is I studied Latin American literature, and somehow I ended up in the advertising business. And a long time ago, 15 years ago, I went with a group of volunteers in Phoenix down to a shelter where people experiencing homelessness were living while they worked to transition back to the community. At that time, while I handed out energy bars, I don't know if we thought that fiber was the answer, but clearly it was an indication of how little listening we did and how smart we thought we were. About two years into it, a man came out of the shelter, and he was not interested in an energy bar. He wanted to start a friendship, and I um, really spent all of my days until that moment driving by people who were different than me. I see myself as a loser in the sense that I had lost relationship with so many people who I'd driven by that I could have had reciprocity with and learn from and shared what I know to help. And so um, I was scared of that. I pushed back and finally started to get to know him and his wonder cat, Cutie Pie. I um, began to realize that he wanted a deep friendship, and I started to want that too. You know, I say I wanted to drink as much as I possibly could from that water fountain. We started to have a mutual friendship it was meaningful. And soon I started to try and figure out how I could help. And I realized that he had a broken down truck at the shelter and it was going to be towed and the shelter couldn't fix it. And I realized that amongst my friend group, we knew all kinds of mechanics. You know, I always joke that I must have sent my mechanic to Oahu four or five times with just all of the repairs that I had had. And I said, well, I'm going to call him. <laughs> and so I called him up and said, do you want to be part of a group of people that are working to support the plan and a vision that our friend has for his life? It didn't take any convincing. And I really started to think about all of the social networks and connections that we have and how rarely we invite other people to be part of this kind of thing. And so as a business person, I all I could think about is, hey, let's form a board of directors, and he'll be the CEO and chair, and he'll write a business plan, and we'll just access who and what we, what we know. And the, but things are always bigger than they seem, and the big part was the relationship that we all had. And doing life together. And through doing life, all of the things that other people or that we need through relationship flow back and forth. 
And so um, he became uh, economically sustainable in about 10 months, fired us, said he was sick and tired of us being in his business. I got really sad. And um, I realized that what he wanted was a long-term relationship. And so it's been 15 years that we're still in relationship. And I really feel like we need each other to have our best life because we're in there. And uh, we've texted every day and every night for um, 15 years now. And just to tell each other, I'm here. And it makes me think about that the person who is different than me was different than me and had complex needs is the one person who I connect with that way every day of my life. And it makes me think about transitional young adults that often don't have one person to call outside of the system that might be supporting them and the workers that give so much to them, but not a community outreach. And so Open Table became a model after that. Over time, a lot of people with knowledge and skills and gosh, behavioral health and models and research came along it. And we, you know, we got on the path of thinking about let's follow the structure of creating an evidence-based model, even though we'll never, you know, we'll never afford to do that kind of research. And though we've done a lot and along the way, a, a youth serving organization in Phoenix approached us and said, have you thought about young adults who are so invisible to our community? Unless they can have relationship and access to social capital, we're going to lose them. So we worked with them and uh, adapted the model to serve them. I believe that serving youth is the most of what our tables were and now growing into many different kinds of joyful people to serve in relationships. So to be recognized by you really is about the triumph of the youth that have been served in changing us, the people that serve them, and the, the potential that can be added to our world by them. Well, I'll tell you, I, and I should mention this, that last year in 2021, Open Table did win one of our awards. And what I like to point out is that is a peer-judged program. And so you were recognized by peers in the field. And to me, I think that makes it even more special that people who are doing this work with these young people recognize the great things that you are doing. Lynn, thank you so much. I guess the last thing that I would like people to know is not to see Open Table as people who want to help serving youth but people who are coming to the table to be educated and changed and transformed by the youth because we create an environment where youth name what they need to implement their vision for their better lives. And we don't get to see the long-term outcomes because they're the beginning of the next generation. But we really believe in our hearts that doing this work, the generations from them ahead is what's going to create a better world. I agree. I'm glad you said something about the perspective of particularly the way that your tables are set up. And we'll learn very shortly about what we mean by the tables. When did the organization start? The meeting with my friend was in 2005. And in 2007, we became a, a nonprofit organization and a 501c3. But the moment of change is in the meeting. 
Well, I appreciate that information, and I'm looking forward to finding out more about what it is that OpenTable does. I happen to know. <laughs> I actually, we've mentioned OpenTable in many other podcasts because I've known about you for quite a while, and I've actually brought up your model with other podcast interviewees over the years. So I am anxious, though, to share with everybody in more detail what it is that you do. So, John, I want to give you, a, you know, one last chance to add anything else you might want to add before we move on to Rochelle to share what it is that you do. All I would say is that I want to thank you for lifting up innovation and partnerships with youth like this and others to our society. And I want to thank every other AOI organization and awardee. We'd like to know all of you and share what we've learned and learn from you. I think that's where the magic happens is when you can talk with each other and that synergy can take place where we become better than we are individually. Absolutely agree. Thank you so much, Lynn. Well, you're welcome. All right. Well, I think we're going to hand things over to Rochelle now. And Rochelle is going to explain what it is that OpenTable does. And I know we've mentioned tables. So Rochelle's going to explain what that means and how it is that you work with the youth to help them plan their lives. Thank you, Lynn. Hi, everybody. I'm Rochelle. I have been with OpenTable now formally for about three years. And before that, I was a social worker working with transitional age youth who were aging out of the foster care system and helping them find what their next step in life was and found OpenTable back in 2017 and brought it to the state I'm coming from, which is Virginia, and really saw the magic that happened on tables with our young adults adults who are aging out of foster care and how that relationship really just helped them feel like they have somebody that they could connect to long term. We always talk about permanency. The magic that OpenTable really brings is it does, it brings a model. We keep talking about the OpenTable model. And so I'm going to spend a few minutes kind of sharing what that looks like. And so what happens is Open Table partners with organizations around the country who work with young adults who are aging out of the foster care system. And those organizations identify those young adults. At the same time, our model trains volunteers to form what we call a table. That is five to eight volunteers who commit to spend a year with the young adult and they meet with them weekly for a year. It all is kicked off by building relationship. You will hear the word relationship a lot when we talk about our model. It is part of our theory of change and part of who we are as an organization and as a model. Open Table trains five to eight volunteers on how they can use their social and relational capital to invest in the life of a young person. They are trained for six weeks. It's about two hours a week for six weeks. And at the end of that training, they get matched to their young adult. And then they start their meetings. The meetings are weekly for a year. On the table, each volunteer represents a life domain, if you will, for that young adult to help them manage their goals. On the front end of this table experience, the young adult will build something called a life plan. And that is where they really get to identify for themselves what things they want to work on over the course of a year to help make their life a little bit better. 
some examples of that are, it might be housing, it might be transportation needs, it might be helping them with their taxes, helping them fill out forms for things like FAFSA so they can get into school. We had one young adult who was going to college and she literally just needed somewhere that she could do her laundry. She needed somewhere to go home for the holidays. And so we are both focusing on tangible goals like housing, transportation, and also relational goals, like just having somewhere to be with people on breaks. And so the table will meet each week and they will work on whatever goals are identified for that young adult. And those agendas for those weekly meetings are designed with both the young adults and with the what we call the inside leads. So that's the person that's helping facilitate those table meetings. And together, they lead those meetings. They brainstorm ways that they can help meet the goals for that young adult. So Lynn, can I give a few examples of young adults we've worked with and how that's looked for them? Absolutely. I think that will help highlight how this works very well. Sure. So we have a young man who is living in North Carolina. He came to the table. He is 20 years old and had aged out of private foster care. And so he was really looking for finding permanent housing solution. And he really wants to get his CDL so he can be a truck driver. That is his dream. He wants to be a truck driver when he grows up, if you will. What the table did was they looked into all of their social capital, so all the social networks they have. And one of the table members actually had a CDL and had a truck driving business. He connected this young adult to people in his network who had their CDLs and are actually truck drivers right now. And this young man is connected with them. They are helping him kind of walk through the steps on how he gets his CDL. At the same time, he is building relationship with the five table members. They just recently went bowling. So he is getting both of those needs met. He is having people actually walk the journey with him to get his CDL and to help him actually get this job that is a dream for him while building relationships with table members when he had no other adult supports in his life. One other example of this was a young lady. She's in Florida and she has a job and she has stable housing, but tax season came up and she just didn't know how to do her taxes. And so some of these, what might feel like to us, like very basic skills, she had never been taught. And so this was her first job. This was the first time she had to file for taxes. So one table meeting was the whole table sitting around her and helping her fill out the paperwork for her taxes and also <laughs> teaching her these skills, right, that are really important. And she was so excited to come back to the table and say, oh, my goodness, I got money back. Like if I do my taxes, I can actually get money back. And so that really helped her see how that process worked. For so many of our young adults that are aging out, some of these skills that come easily to the rest of us, they just had never been taught that. And so because tables are using these meetings to not only help brainstorm around how they can meet goals, they're also building relationship. When something happens, like I had another young person who got a flat tire on the way home from work and had no idea who to call. 
So she called a table member who showed up and actually on the side of the road showed her how to change her flat tire. And so by them having people in their network that they can call on for support, they are not only building relationships, but able to build skills. Sure, I can see that. So how old are the youth when they're matched to a table, generally speaking? Are you talking about after they've aged out, before they've aged out? So most of the time it is between the ages of 18 to 25. In some states, they are in the process of aging out and trying to get before they actually lose those supports. And in some states, they age out at 18 and tables are working with them at that time. Right, right. And you're a national organization, correct? Correct. Well, how do you match a young person with a table? How does that work? Sure. So like I said at the beginning, we partner with organizations who are working with this population. And so we have partners all across the country that are working with kids who are aging out. And we will train them in our referral process training, which talks about how do you know when a young adult is ready to be on a table? It's not just a commitment for the volunteers, right? It's a commitment for the young adult as well. And so they are also committing an hour a week for a year. And so then they will connect with the volunteer on the table that's called the outside lead. And they have a conversation with the referral partner. So the organization that's working with this population and a table member, they talk with the young adults. So it's a warm handoff. During that conversation, the open table representative is sharing what a table is about, answering any questions they have. The young adult has the opportunity to ask any questions, asking questions about the specific table members, and then they have 24 hours to kind of make a decision if this is something they want to do. I will say on every call I've been on by the end of the conversation, usually the young adult is like, yes, like, let's get started. (laughs) And so once they make that connection, then the young adult will be connected to the full table Their very first meeting is very relational, where they will actually have a big potluck meal with this young adult surrounding all of their favorite foods. And during (laughs) that meeting, the table members will share with that young person why, why they're there. Why did they choose to do this with this young adult? And so the whole process then is launched around building mutual relationship. Right. Well, who finds the volunteers? Are they people who are from the community, generally speaking? Are they from the network of the people who work at the organization that you're partnered with? I'm just curious if the volunteers could be anybody. Absolutely. We have partnerships across the country with faith communities, business communities, and nonprofit communities that are all supplying volunteers to tables. And it just kind of depends. We are really centered around what is best for that community. And so in a lot of communities, whatever organization is working with us will identify a point of contact who is kind of the local person that is helping create these tables. And a lot of times the organizations, just like you said, they might have a pool of volunteers. And then we reach out to the community and bring in volunteers to serve on the table. Okay. Now you mentioned faith-based communities. Could a church start a table for a young person aging out of foster care. I know that a lot of churches will, you know, select some kind of effort to help in their own community. 
And I know that there have been some that have found out about the challenges that young people aging out of foster care face. And I would imagine that you might have a church saying, hey, we'd like to have a table and help a young person in our community. Is it a matter of then trying to connect that church with another local organization that serves these youth? We definitely have faith communities throughout the country. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is very often our various partners, no matter what sector they're coming from, whether that's a nonprofit or the business community or the faith community, oftentimes they have a certain demographic that they're particularly passionate about partnering with or serving as part of a way of their giving back in the community. And so we do find that there are many churches or faith communities that are particularly interested in having a way to impact and be in relationship with young people aging out of the foster care system. And so that's a particular focus that they would have. And they say, we would like to do tables for this group of people. I just add to that, that saying to people, wherever you gather with a group of people that you have a relationship with, it could be your faith community. We have uh, Fortune 500 people coming out of their workplace. We have civic clubs. And, you know, the last thing of that I think will tell us when things are really working is when people go door to door in their neighborhood and have their neighborhood sponsor a table. It just be so wonderful ah. because of doing that, you actually get to know your neighbors and work together. So I'd say to anybody, if you live in a neighborhood or an apartment building, you want to do this, <laughs> call us. We'd love to work on it with you. Absolutely. And you provide the model and the training. And I would imagine the table can contact you for support throughout the year. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Now I have one more question. I'm going to, I'm not pushing back on how you do things at all, but it crossed my mind. You said that you form a table, you match a youth with the table, the youth comes up with a plan, and then the people on the table search their, their social capital and networks to think about, you know, how can we meet the needs of that plan? What about forming a table based on a youth's plan and goals? Like the youth would do the plan first and they say, okay, based on this, we need a table that has this, that, or the other areas of expertise. It just crossed my mind as a possibility. I'm gathering you might have considered that somewhere along the way. <laughs> it is such a great question. It comes up very often, Lynn. So to answer your question in short, all table members are generalists, right? But if you think about the power of social capital, the friend might need a lawyer, let's say, for example. And we might not have a lawyer on our table, right? However, if I looked in my cell phone right now, I probably have mm, about 100 connections right there in my cell phone. And so by taking five minutes and connecting to all of those different connections in my cell phone, I could probably find one or two lawyers that I could call and say, hey, let me tell you about somebody that I have the privilege of knowing and what's going on. And actually, tables have done this for lots and lots of friends across the country. By being a generalist on the table and not just being an expert in one specific thing, what it allows our table members to do is really use all of their social capital and all of the connections of those folks to really be able to meet any needs that might come up. Does that help? Yes, it does. No, I really appreciate that explanation. Lynn, there's something I just wanted to say about that, too, is that experiencing poverty, the toxicity of it, the trauma that it causes, 
sometimes we serve people who have had the sense that the dreams that they have could come true, taken away from them. The environment that a table creates, especially in the life plan stage, is really the chance for a youth to say, I feel like I'm in a safe place. I feel I can pull all those deep dreams that I might have buried and bring them back to the group because people are around me. I think that sense of hope is so important to foster in young people, in anybody, right? Not just young people, but particularly when you're just starting out your life, right? right? I think that's key. Yes. Well, I know time is flying here. I want to be sure that we can address some of the answers you might have to our last question, which is, what do you think the foster care system can and should do better to improve the outcomes of foster youth? And so, Angie, I think we're going to you first on this question, and we'll have a conversation about it. Thank you, Lynn. My name is Angie, and we're just so excited to be a part of this time with Lynn and the Aging Out Institute. And Lynn, I would say that my answer to this question is captured within my own actual personal experience, um, both personally and professionally. So I happen to be a foster adoptive parent of two daughters, but I would tell you that I have three daughters. And the explanation of that is how I came and how I came to have three daughters is woven in the story of my journey to Open Table. So prior to working for Open Table, I was actually working for a statewide provider of child welfare services in Virginia. And that was actually the agency that brought the Open Table model to Virginia. Open Table had not previously existed in Virginia and had not been implemented in Virginia. So, as a part of my role with that agency, I helped implement Open Table in Virginia and I served as a volunteer on my first table. My table served a young woman who had aged out of the foster care system herself. When we met her and when our table started working with her, she was pregnant and she said, you know, at that time, I feel completely alone. The father of her baby had become incarcerated. And at that time in her life, she really did not have any connections that she had maintained either with her biological family or any of her previous foster families. And so through her, she taught me what for me is a significant part of the answer that I would give to your question. That is that before meeting her, you know, and being a foster adoptive parent myself, I was very well aware of really the three main goals and outcome measures that we look at for permanency within the foster care system. Of course, that's focusing on either one reunification with the biological family or kinship care as number two or number three adoption. You know, my background was in adolescent development, like working with teenagers was what I had spent my professional career doing. And in looking at the number of young people that age out of the foster care system, one of the things that was really clear to me is that because of those three named and formally recognized as permanency goals for young people, If a young person does, in fact, age out of the foster care system, so often I was seeing that these young adults either felt like they somehow had failed themselves or that the foster care system had failed them or worse yet, they felt both. You know, they felt that they were a failure and the system had failed them. And so 
what my relationship with the young person that I was served on the table for, because she became like my daughter. She is today my daughter. I say that I have three daughters and her daughter is like my granddaughter. But And that's what we see in Open Table. In Open Table, 95% of those who work with the table remain in relationship with their table members years beyond that formal year of the table. And they name, they say, now I feel like I have family members. And I know that the term relational permanency has been in the child welfare space and has been recognized by the foster care system for quite some time. It's not really a new term anymore. But one of the things that I think would be a really powerful shift is if that was actually officially named as permanency, that that is true permanency that you can achieve is relational permanency through these supportive networks in the community, through something exactly like what Open Table does, because she would tell you that she had permanency and she has permanency. She has a family. Her table is her family. So she wasn't reunified with her biological family. She wasn't in kinship care. She wasn't adopted. But she would tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I would, because I'm part of that family, that she achieved permanency through relational permanency. So I think it would be absolutely transformational and it would revolutionize the child welfare system if in foster care, we actually really started to officially name that and measure it and show that relational permanency is in fact permanency. And, you know, there's a lot of new research around this too. The National Institutes of Health very recently in 2019 did a research study that said, you know, in the past, really all we've looked at is one-on-one mentors, foster parents, and bio parents, as far as, again, permanency as a focus on these types of relationships. But strong networks of support through the community at large, there hasn't been a lot of research on that. But what the research study showed was that those one-on-one relationships with just one adult are not sufficient to meet the relational and support needs of youth. And the research study suggested that a whole network of people, that that type of approach is much more predictive of long-term positive outcomes for young people. I think it would be such a win-win for everyone if the foster care system would name relational permanency as a fourth outcome measure. The community would have a shared purpose. And to be able to name it so that the community could recognize that even if you can't have a role in reunification, even if you can't provide kinship care or adopt, you can, in fact, provide permanency for a young person that's going to age out because You can volunteer to be on a table and you can become the supportive network. You can become like a family for this young person. Then the transitional age youth, the young adult that's aging out, then they feel like they've accomplished permanency. And the child welfare system has this new measure that we know, again, is much more predictive of long-term positive outcomes. So I think that would be a really important shift if that transition could happen. And what body would dictate that though? Is that by state? I would imagine it would be state by state, but perhaps at the federal level, maybe there could be a way to lead the way to advocate for states to consider that. Yeah, right, right. Well, John or Rochelle, I'll I'll toss it to you. What are your thoughts on what the foster care system can do, either responding to Angie's thoughts or providing something new? I would just mimic, say what Angie said. I think that we put so much time, effort, funding into what happens when our young adults, like when they are in crisis, in foster care, in the system, 
but what could we do to really support them earlier on, right? And really, like Angie said, like if we were to put more of our resources into finding relationships, finding supports, I am a social worker. I worked in human services. And I will say from my own lived experience, like I love the kids on my caseload. I wanted to find permanency, but it was really, really hard. Our systems are taxed even more so now. We have less people working within the agencies. We have more kids that are coming into care. And so what can we do to not only provide the community we were talking about for the young adults, but also to support all the people that are trying to support these young adults and find permanency? Things like having models that folks can use and having conversations where communities can come together and support each other and support both the young adults and the systems, but also the systems that are trying to support them in the first place. I think it is a really big need that is happening across the country. Well, I could think of a model that could be adopted (laughs) everywhere off the top of my head. (laughs) And, you know, Lynn, you asked earlier about the number of tables specific to this population. And I will say that that's always been my dream, right, is that every single state could have the same number of tables as they have kids aging out of the foster care system. And then we could say that every single one of them had achieved permanency because they all would have a family through this community supportive network that is their table. Absolutely. I mean, look at other programs that are being adopted state by state, Chafee and others yes. that are that are being adopted. Open Table could be one because it seems like it's proven to be a model that works. Right. There you go. I like it. Let's put that out there. <laughs> we'll go for it. Yeah. Well, John, I want to give you a chance to provide your input on this as well before we wrap up. Well, I would say to systems that you know, let's sit down and do the math. I don't know how many thousands of heroic and caring people are in the child welfare system, but there are 300 million or 200 million adults out there who we haven't really invited to partner with us in that work. There is billions of dollars of social capital and Every social determinant of health outside of medical care and genetics can be solved in the community. And then truly the financial resource that 50 million people, if they were somehow involved and they each gave a buck, we'd be able to put another $50 million into that system. It's really inviting the system to see the community really as its outcome partner and to invite communities to practice through models at the same level that our systems do and the experts in them to together create outcomes. If we don't bring the community in some way, it's just that old thing. If we keep doing what we always did, we'll only get what we always got. But the tragedy is there's a youth on the other end of that. Right. You know, you mentioned companies starting to get in on the concept of the tables. And I've always thought that that could be a fabulous way to have some kind of team mentoring is what I used to think of as some team mentoring approach because now I'm in Pennsylvania and Milton Hershey School is here right right? now. They have an endowment of like, I don't know, millions of dollars, if not more. And they help thousands of young people who come from poverty every year. And if every company were to set up, probably they could set up multiple tables to help the young people in their community then 
wow, imagine what could be done. And you'd have potentially some employment built into that as well, ideally with the company that's sponsoring the table. Exactly. Yeah. Lynn, help us go present that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm there. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I know we're here at the end of our time, but I wanted to make sure that I got one last question in. Then I want you to share your contact information. What about virtual tables? Are these just in-person tables or are virtual tables a possibility? Because then you don't necessarily have the geographic barriers. 2020 really allowed us the opportunity to build virtual tables. And what we found was, A, absolutely you can do this virtually. The meetings can happen virtually. It has allowed families, young adults who maybe were not able to access this before, or maybe the table members that wanted to support them weren't really close. It has increased access as well as table members that wanted to do this, but maybe traveled one week out of the year. They were able to access it virtually. And now that we are starting to be a little bit more in person, a lot of our tables are doing what we call this hybrid model. So they might meet virtually, but then they're doing relationship in person between those meetings. And that is working really well. Good. Well, it's nice to know that there's an option there. With the technology we have today, it certainly seemed feasible. Finally, if people wanted to donate or wanted to start a table of their own, how do they find your information and get in touch with you? They can visit our website, which is the, T-H-E, opentable.org. And then once you're on the website, that's also where you can donate. And then there will be an email info at theopentable.org. So anybody can reach out and that email will go to our team and somebody will respond right away. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for participating in this podcast. Congratulations again on winning the award last year. I'm very excited about your model, and that sounds like it's spreading around the country. I love that. And I wish you all the best moving forward. I look forward to staying in touch with you. I know that you will be serving as a judge this year for the awards program, so we'll be in touch for sure. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Just deep gratitude for you, Lynn, for the Aging Out Institute, for the work that you do and the opportunity that you've given us to partner with you alongside in that work. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Go AOI. How can we help? (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, we'll end on that. For those of you who have listened to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find our podcast on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and look for the podcast link, or you could get us at pretty much any podcast distributor. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time 